living high end right now man you know it's crazy last night I was, uh, yesterday i was at ritz carlton today i'm in the uh, whatever this is so, like moving, things change you're moving around I love yeah it. moving around now i'm here for a couple more days i'm in miami i'm here for a couple more days doing some family stuff and then um head, heading back on sunday good how's life living man it's, it's crazy times we're so busy at facebook right now man it's like i wish you could see my desk I'm, i brought my portal with me on the trip I've got two laptops out. Like it's like you know, you, what, there's a lot going on. What makes, good stuff. What makes it more busy now than I mean than any other time? Uh, look, I think we've got some exciting things we're working on that the world will hear about shortly, and so that's fun. And then a lot of reactive stuff, man. You know, I mean, it's WWDC. Apple announced a bunch of shit yesterday, or a bunch of shit the last couple of days. Some really cool stuff, some challenging stuff for everyone. You know, we'll we'll have to sort through all of that. Um, and I think like, you know, I think like, like my individual interpretation of Apple's announcement yesterday is a, a, if last year they were focusing on third party, it seems to me like this year they kind of focus on first party privacy approach. And we'll just have to see how it all pans out when, as we hear the details. But anyway, between that, some internal stuff, some some reaction stuff, uh, very busy times. I keep waiting for like privacy to become... <laughs> you know less intense and yeah, it's not gonna happen in our just, career it's not it's gonna happen while we're at this one. it's just it's not, not gonna happen for us we're the generation like you know there's all these like privacy excuse me data oil analogies and i hate them and they're exhausting but here's one <laughs> like we're the original like oil riggers man like those guys worked hard those guys worked dangerously those guys uh you know, worked for 40 years nonstop. And like, we're the privacy oil diggers, man. Like, that's just who we are. And, uh, you know, the next generation, we hopefully will have laid a foundation for them to work in a more efficient and, uh, you know, kind of deliberate way. But like, I think for us, we're just, we're taking fire and reacting and, and building at the same time. And, and, you know, the old, you know, that that's, that's our, that's going to be our career, man. Yeah. I've surrendered to this. It's interesting. I mean, I, I'm surprised. Here's one prediction, maybe. And it's not specific to Facebook or anybody else. Uh, but it's specific to Apple. With, with Apple leaning in, in these ways, uh, you know, attacking third party cookies and first, now maybe first party data, and ad tech and everything like, do you think that companies, I have to think this may happen. Do you think that certain companies may start to get really acquisitive and, and consolidating in ways that will, uh, that will kind of fight back and, and push back on Apple? Or is it just they're going to evolve through innovation on their own? I don't know, man. Look, Apple's privacy narrative is very powerful. Okay. Yeah. Like, it's very powerful. 
and um, countering that through like consolidation to provide alternatives, if they're less privacy protective, it's going to be really tricky, right? So I think what companies need to do is say, bravo, Apple. Not only are we doing privacy as well as you are, there are better ways to do privacy that doesn't destroy, well, I don't that doesn't create headwinds for lots of uh, industries, right? Um, and like the notion that data sharing is problematically, and I'm not saying Apple is is perpetuating that notion, I don't think they are, but that data sharing in and of itself has built-in problems, I don't think it's true. I think it's how we do it that really matters, how the world does it that really matters. And just putting up roadblocks to sharing and calling that privacy to me is incomplete. Yeah. So companies that say that come up with, for example, like everyone talks about pets and everyone's making lots of research, privacy enhancing technologies, right? Like there might be ways to allow for a lot of cool, innovative data use cases that are just less personal data intensive, but still deliver great curated personalized outcomes. Let's chase that because I like my personalized YouTube. I like my personalized Facebook feed. I like my personalized um, TikTok feed. Like I do. I don't. I. I, I like. I like these things. And you're gonna and love so, your. You're gonna love your personalized uh, AR VR experience when that becomes, correct. Correct when that becomes ubiquitous, and that becomes a way that people uh, socialize, which it will. I mean, correct. I don't know if twenty or thirty years from now, but def it's gonna be we're going to be not on zoom necessarily. We're going to be in worlds. Like I almost guarantee it. It's a, it's very ready, ready player one and very apropos for our simulation conversation yeah. with Beatrice yeah. that we have coming up. Uh, but it, I definitely think it's moving that direction. I think so too. Speaking of Beatrice. Yeah. There's a, there's a I don't even know if rising star is the right word, but there's a, a comet of a, of, of, of just a privacy person who just exploded on the scene broke all the norms and is now a big shot she's gonna do some amazing stuff uh i i, I met her through um sarah weatherhead the gc of virgin uh pulse which is a health tech company and she was like like beatrice is a star she and is. i was like <laughs> i was like cool let me let me meet her it was proven out you know she just and Beatrice was always saying to me like I want to get into ad tech it's so and you know why she was like because it's so hard and yeah it's of course this is why we're all here yeah. this is why people ask me this question all the time they're like man you like even though I transitioned to Facebook people are like hey why'd you do that man like you had a pretty good gig I did I had a great gig but I'm like I want to be in the front lines man yeah yeah so she's on and she's definitely frontline soldier um and I I think like me she's uh, and I say this as a high compliment because like she's scatterbrained. We're going to talk about a bunch of shit, I'm sure. And, um, and, uh, and that's, to me, those are the best conversations anyway. So. It's passion. She's passion for yeah. a ton of different things, not just she's, privacy. She's, she's, yeah. Yep. I All think right, so too. Let's do it, man. Oh, it gives me the option to leave the meeting. Look at that. Yeah. Please don't. <laughs> I think I've never been on a recorded Zoom, so I didn't know that it sends you a message that is like, this meeting is now being recorded. You can leave. <laughs> I love it. Well, here we are. We're here. We're here. I'm in a random Airbnb kitchen. I hope you guys like it.
It's very high end, as you can see by the plain walls and generic microwave. I like what they did with the the art in the place. You know, there's it's a, lot- a really colorful place, man. Like yeah. I'm really I'm I'm in here. I just feel the vibrance of the world. Um, there's a big no smoking sign. It's really nice. There you go. At least they're being healthy, which is unusual for Florida. <laughs> this is a solid point. This is a solid point. I don't know how healthy the. Uh, anyway, whatever. We'll leave it alone. <laughs> I'm in a cool place. <laughs> well, so Beatrice Boti did her hair, which is beautiful. Like I did. Yeah. I was going for an '80s vibe, but I feel like I hit it. I think you hit it. I think you hit it. I, th- yeah, I think you hit a very like. Like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, metro, cool, 80s vibe. Yeah, like, I'm European, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like you were doing, you were doing, what was, the, what was the big exercise program in the 80s? You know the one? I don't know. The one oh, with the people. Like, the the one, yeah, good thing I didn't wear a leotard. That would have been weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean, uh, what was the big, oh, yeah. I mean, it's not Taibo, but it's whatever the one that came before Taibo is, and. There's all these cool 80s videos of people working out. I feel like all the ladies had their hair up. The music one? Like the yeah, one the music one. Like, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I wasn't actually around for those. Oh, no. I, was a, I was just a boy. <laughs> I came about in 88, so I just catch the 80s. Man. 88. 88, that's crack year. That's when crack really took off in my neighborhood. So like, you know, big year, it's a big year. I mean, I think it's a great year. Well, it depends. 88, huh? Okay. That was, how did you know that that's when crack took off? 88 is the universal year of the crack explosion, man. I mean, it was, let me tell you what happened in my, I know this is a private podcast, but let me tell you what happens in my neighborhood in 1988. So I moved from the farm to uh my the neighborhood i grew up in in 1987 88 i move it's like a happy place it's a working class place but it's a happy place people of color all over the place with jobs and things then crack sweeps through in about a year and a half and it turns into a dark miserable dystopia people's parents this is miami Miami. oh miami okay i i wasn't sure because i just saw a movie recently about yeah uh like, uh, oh, what was it? There's a great, there's a great TV show called Snowfall that really addressed that kind of talks about this, uh, or that addresses this in the story. Late 80s, what I saw is about like this, this like journalist that uncovered how like the US government was like, um channeling money to the uh, contrast through like yep. the, the, the cocaine trafficking. And I was like, this, and it's like a true story. I think it's with Jeremy Renner. It was good, if, as it usually happens, by the way, I watch a movie and I'm like, this is amazing. I love it. And my husband's like, it's 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> well, you, <laughs> are you always finding the, are you guys always finding the, the privacy content and angles in movies? I feel like I am. I try, I definitely try. I, I spend a lot of time doing that. I just saw um, The Interpreter last week, which I had never seen, but I'd wanted to see for a very long time. And there's like, you know, the whole movie is like predicated on how she overhears a, con- a conversation. And I was like, huh, see, I shouldn't yeah. have done that. 
<laughs> I can I can find it in anything. I can find privacy in anything if I I can find it in, you know, I don't know. Like I think we should do an episode where we analyze Shrek and find all the privacy violations. Like I think we need to get into that. I mean, speaking of movies, I can lend you my movies from my like, you know, I have like eleven that I circle through. Um, what are the eleven? So be so. Let's just backtrack for one moment. You run privacy at Double Verify. And, I run privacy at Double Verify. And uh, <laughs> and you used to work at Virgin Pulse, which is a health tech company. Um, so you've seen two very complex ecosystems: health and ad ad tech. We thought that would be awesome to talk with you about, but you also, more interestingly, you have a really cool background and you're into movies and sci-fi movies. And so we picked Tron, which is perfect. Um, which but, I love. Uh, what are the list of movies? You have a bunch of movies that have privacy themes that you like show, uh, talk about. With yeah. You. So, so, you know, starting from like the super old ones, um, you know, I'm actually going to pull the full list so I don't miss any of them. But starting from the super old ones, written uh, list. I have, yeah, because I circle through them on like every quarter, we do a different one. Um, and then we do like a night. So everybody gets to like watch it. This, uh, this last quarter, actually, Double Verify was awesome about it because they screened it for the company for a few days. So we had like actual shows and everybody could watch it together cool. on Zoom. Um, normally, we're planning to do it in person when we go back. But, um, you know, for now, Zoom it is. So we screen the movie for a few days and then we have um like a, a movie discussion sort of thing it has a trivia you can win prizes this this pastime the prize was one of those pens that like blacks out your mail so you don't have to shred it when you when you throw it out so it's privacy themed prizes as well and like really going at it um but we do like a, a trivia that's a blend of like things that happen in the movie and just like how they have privacy uh relevant so that's pretty cool the movie we just did is Gattaca I don't know if you've seen it's awesome uh also did not do great at the box office because it came out a few weeks before titanic which i feel like would have been bad for anybody so um that was bad luck but it has a really great cast like it's funny how you go back and you watch a movie from like 20 years ago and you're like wow all these people are famous now um it's what's, got, the, privacy you know, angle, what's the privacy angle in gattaca i know there's like different it's, themes in that movie but yeah it's got a ton right because like the entire premise of the movie is that children are genetically engineered to be outstanding at everything or at least something um and the way that you sort of like I think the most interesting part about it is when you watch it everybody goes about their lives in sort of a nonchalant way um about the kind of data collection that occurs around them right you have to get into your office every day you have to get a blood sample and pee in a cup because they need to make sure that it's you and they need to make sure that you're not drugged and blah, 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 blah. Because there are these other people that are called God's children, the people that were conceived naturally who don't have the same IQs, they don't have the same skills, they don't have the same characteristics, but they do sometimes try to pass themselves as enhanced. Um, so I think the interesting thing is sort of like how everyone's really nonchalant about it and, um, I think for us, it's like, you know, it, it just speaks to the fact that the more things happen around you, 
the more used to it you become. So even as a privacy person, I have a very low threshold for my own privacy because I went through the US immigration system. So I'm very used to, oh, the US government wants a blood sample. That sounds reasonable. <laughs> so my own perception is very different, I think, than like, you know, the average person that I know when they hear that in order to become a citizen, you have to go through <clears throat> medical tests and give them a blood sample and give them, you know, your entire like personal history, your parents' history, your family. Like, there's a lot that the US government knows about me. Wow. <laughs> the average person I probably would. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah, so, dude, you got to do biometrics several times. I had to do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, like, you're you're yeah. Do the whole it. thing, man. It's a whole thing. Yeah, they take um, photos of you over time. They have your fingerprints. Like, if they want, all I'm saying is if the FBI wanted to frame me for a murder, it wouldn't be that hard because <laughs> they have everything on the pl- They could clone me. You no, know, this is recorded. Me. This is being recorded. That's fine. I, at least I have evidence. It's like the women that are like, I'm going to keep a note in my pocket that says my husband did it so that if I ever turn up dead, people will <laughs> FBI does. But he's innocent, man. I, you <laughs> that's never know. Like, like, that's messed up. He's, he's definitely more innocent than I am. Um, Andy, who's nearby? Me, Can he hear this? <laughs> no, he, he's traveling, but even if you were like, he is way more mellow than I am. Like he's yeah. the nicest person on the planet. And I'm like, let me you know, ask you, let me ask you a follow-up question. Like yeah. that's super interesting about Gattaca. It obviously made me think about like how we go through our lives, all the data collections happening, even people outside of our sphere, we're obviously heightened, you know, we have a heightened sense yeah. for it, but it also made me think about Tron, which, which is, I mean, that, that, this movie Tron, brings to mind immediately for me like are we in a simulation yeah and i know i know we're off topic a little bit here but there's privacy elements <laughs> what's the like what's the likelihood before i, I want i want i want to hear what you think the likelihood of us being in a simulation is but the irony of having this conversation virtually is not lost on me please proceed it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> so many layers <laughs> Uh, Are we in a simulation? Let's go. I want to know right now. uh, All right, I'll go first. But but uh, okay. So I think there's a. Do you want me to put a percentage on it? (laughs) Go for it. I think there's a ten percent chance we're in a simulation. That's high. I think it's pretty high. Like I think ten (laughs) percent is pretty high. Most people would say zero. But you know, I do, and the reason I think so is. Uh, there's a lot of patterns that you see between the structure of atoms and and the mm-hmm. universe. And that doesn't feel by chance to me that there are so many patterns that we see and the way machines work and the way our bodies work and things like that. And so it leads me to believe there's, there's a potential percentage that something has created something and created us in, in such a way that, you know, we live in a simulation. Okay. I was going to say, like, I, I'd like a clarification point before I answer the question, which is, are we talking simulation like the Matrix simulation, like in our minds, or is this like a Petri dish? Because if the question is, is this a Petri dish, then I agree with Andy, it's probably a higher than, like, you would think likelihood. Um, although, like, I, like, I mean, I feel like there's a possibility that we're also like the Matrix like simulation, and I know it sounds crazy, but 
I joke about this sometimes where I'm like, I can tell the outcome of things way too easily sometimes. Like I'm watching things happen and I'm like, this is what this, this is where this is gonna go. And then I watch the matrix and I'm like, oh <laughs> not where I thought this was going, but Pedro, yeah. your turn. Oh. I don't think so. You think it's all, <laughs> it's all real? I just yeah. don't think so, yeah. <laughs> I, you want me to give you some like philosophical reason i'd have to yeah. think about it but like i just i feel like in the world there would be evidence isn't like, there no like deja vu that's not a real glitch like there's just i, I think living in a simulation has to assume you have to make several assumptions that there's a broader reality I'm not so sure um, that that reality is so advanced that it can create the simulation without us detecting that we are part of the simulation. I don't know how probable that is, but it seems low. Um, and then I look at our own efforts to create a simulation and see how hard that is. Um, and therefore, I'm not convinced. Look at Pedro taking it like scientific while we're having a good time. <laughs> do, you believe, do you believe that we're alone in the universe? I think it's going to be really hard to be alone. I also think the distances are so long and so large that we're, you know, connecting those. If a civilization was able to connect the distances necessary to travel across each other and provide evidence of themselves, we would have known they're there a long time ago. Mm. I mean, that's, that's my take. Maybe. I don't know. I, I will say, like, the whole, like, alien thing is, like, probably my biggest phobia my my I think my parents live in constant anxiety that aliens will show up and I'll just jump off my, the building because it just terrifies me because I read this article a while ago there's all these scientific articles about like how likely is it that if an alien race were to find us they would be peaceful and most scientists seem to agree that they wouldn't be peaceful because why else would they travel said long distance to come and hang out with us uh, in a peaceful way or to share technology or something like that. Uh, plus, we tend not to be peaceful. So we make that assumption that other people. That's such, a, that's such a glass half empty view. It's interesting. Science has this glass half empty view. Uh, I, I think that's right. But like, so like, let's just think about how fucking obnoxious human beings are, right? Yeah. So like, for us to be in a simulation, back to my point about like long distances and amount of time, right? Like, I think, based on looking at human society, that the fraction of civilizations that will survive like post-human is probably zero or very low because we are on the cusp of self-destruction at all times, like literally. And the, as soon as we build all this cool technology, we focus on building stuff that could destroy us, right? Nuclear but maybe weapon. that's like evidence that this is a simulation. Like they're trying well, to well, wait, Stick with me here. Stick with me here. Stick with me. So like, so like if, if, if it's, if the probability of a post-human civilization is low based on the fact that I think it's hard, or I think a lot of people probably think it's difficult to cross past human capacity because we are self-destructive in nature, right? And then you have to also assume that a civilization that gets post-human is also interested in creating a human simulation that acts like fucking humans, okay, <laughs> right? Which is ridiculous. We get past all of this. Let's build one and watch them act like we used to act. Like that just I don't know. I don't know. That sounds kind of fun. 
That's a, I mean, like the uh, the ant farm, you know. I mean, that I guess a reality show, and clearly we like those. <laughs> yeah, but like, so so like, just sticking with humans here, right? So kids like ant farms, right? Let's look at the ant farm, and that's. But I don't know any forty-five-year-old like men or well, women I'm that sure are like. There. I'm sure there's I'm, the guy. You're right. There's a guy out there who's really into ant farms. <laughs> okay. But like, we, maybe, you know, maybe Joe Alien is out maybe, there. Maybe, maybe we're, maybe we're some alien kid ant farm. Okay, maybe. fine. <laughs> fine. We're sitting in some superposed human child's like bedroom. That is our universe, and they're in there like watching us like think we're smart and talk shit and run eighties based loosely themed podcasts about privacy. Okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, talk sure. about the present. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. Some little alien kid is just like, you know, we're in like some dark corner of his room. <laughs> you know, okay, whatever. That's cool. Uh, well, what what you, what you just said, like, the which, by the way, sorry, one last thing, which, by the way, let me tie this back to privacy. If yeah. we are a simulation and an ant farm, then all this privacy shit is an illusion because somebody's watching us. Some little kid in some closet, some super post human master intelligence is watching us in our little trivial maybe, pursuits maybe but privacy is relative right because like i have maybe. privacy with you guys because you don't know a lot of stuff about me like you don't know my date of birth but the government does so it's always relative so privacy amongst us might be real while well, it's maybe. not with a little alien. even if nothing is real <laughs> so i want to ask i want to ask you a question beatrice you grew up in rome which we discussed like growing up uh and then you you came here for school like growing up did you have this privacy as a fundamental right like was that, <laughs> is that around or you just focused on like you weren't focused on that at all like I, I have to imagine like when you're a kid growing up in a place like that you know <laughs> One of the most beautiful cities in the world, way more important things to do than think about that stuff. But we hear this all the time, like, oh, you know, privacy is fundamental. It's viewed differently. Like, were you aware of that as a kid at all? Yeah, I mean, like, as as uncool as this is going to sound, uh, I was <laughs> not planning to get into privacy in my life. Uh, I did, when I was four years old, I did decide I was going to be a lawyer. And Andy, I think I told you about this before. I was very, very certain that I was going to be a lawyer. Um, it was a TV show that turned me on it. I have no lawyers in my family. Everyone is um, from, uh, they all have STEM backgrounds. But I saw Perry Mason and I thought, that's cool. I want to do that. So I thought I was going to be like a criminal defense attorney, I guess. Um, that didn't work out. Um, so as I got older and I got into law school, my law school was very uh, business oriented. It's actually a business school that has a law school program. Um, so I started doing a lot of trademark work. So actually, when I was a summer associate here in the US, I was in an IP department. Mm -hmm. So I thought I was going to do that. And then I ended up in house right out of law school because, you know, the secret of the century, not everybody ends up in law firms in <laughs> law school. Um, so I ended up in house and I was doing just commercial contracting and a bunch of other stuff. And we didn't have anyone that did privacy. Um, and I really liked it. And um, the CFO at the time and the general counsel at the time, general counsel who Andy, you know, because <laughs> she succeeded you at DataZoo. Um, 
they were like, well, if you want to do it, you can do it, but you still have to do everything else. So I was, it was sort of like my pet project. And then I started liking it. And then my husband always says that I've always been like, sort of like secretive and paranoid, which is a compliment to him. Like, I don't do the whole Facebook thing. I have a Facebook, but I'm not very much about it. And um, I don't, I don't know. I don't do a lot of like. It made me very stuff. sad. Yeah, I know. I but let me Facebook see. Account. Do you use WhatsApp? Do you use WhatsApp? Um, I do use WhatsApp. I also have an Instagram yeah. account. It's just Very like, um, it's not that I don't use them. It's more like the way I've always used them. Like even when Facebook first came around like ages ago and I was still in college, I was always reticent to post what club I was in or sure. have photos of myself outside my house because I was terrified people would be able to find me. Um, so I, I always had this sort of like thing that I didn't want people to know things that I didn't tell them. So I guess privacy worked out for me that way because it, yeah. I do have sort of a predisposition to be like, okay, well, to be in private. Want, yeah. To control the information that people know about me. Although again, the, the U S immigration process was definitely a jarring experience. That was forced on you in some some sense, right? It was, yeah. I mean, I wanted to live here, but I no. definitely would have picked a different way to do it if I could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Like you mentioned, I hear a lot of talk about like like people's like in like I don't know what the right word is, but like predispositions to be certain ways or or just kind of innate preferences. I kind of lean like you. I'm not a super. I never have been Facebook poster. Um, yeah. even Instagram, my Instagram is extremely private. Like Andy is one of the few people in like our business that I, that follows me on Instagram. And I'm like, I, 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 I don't, I'm not a pub, publicly demand. I have a Twitter, but I don't really post anything private or personal there. And same thing goes for LinkedIn. Um, but the way Facebook specifically works for me in my life and in a lot of people's lives is less about like social now and more about like transactional i think that's what i've seen like well, you go on there to buy something you go you're going sorry uh, i was going to use a different word i was going to use the word community and there I actually, you go oh yeah i, I, just I actually think right. yeah i actually think that's like where where it's getting rejuvenation in some way i mean obviously like facebook has other properties that we you just mentioned that many 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 people use and don't you know, necessarily associate specifically with the fact that Facebook owns them. They just use them. They use WhatsApp. They use Instagram. They like those services in particular. But Facebook to me is feeling this sort of resurgence in, uh, around community and around the community that you live in and, and accessing each other in certain ways that are beneficial to the community. Contextual. Like, yeah. yeah. But, but, and the reason I mentioned it is not to like give Facebook a resurgence ad here, but it was more about like, because the way we use things like Facebook is changing, right mm -hmm. away from like hey guys i'm checking in i'm at my you know wherever like i'm at this location at this time like which is, i think i agree with you was kind of a weird dynamic <laughs> and posting all of our photos on facebook like people yeah. don't behave that way anymore right yeah. but we do join groups right and those groups yeah, can yeah. be topical yeah. and we join and we like buy certain things on facebook so like the privacy i don't know if the word <laughs> consequence but like the privacy uh uh issues involved are changing but they're just as i mean they, they're intrusive i mean they're just not as overt that's my take so we use yeah. facebook uh we use facebook in one way in particular that i want to discuss with you like one is in the community sense here in my town there's it's there's in there they're in many towns but it's called like buy nothing or or something town free and basically it's you know 
I'm I, I'm done with this chair. The chair, <laughs> oh, yeah. the chair is perfectly good. You know, I got a new chair, or or you know, the chair doesn't match my house anymore, or like, or I have a baby bathtub that I'm done with. Someone else should use this. And there's a lot of just swapping and trading, and like, you know, it's <laughs> like anything anything like recently we had an instacart delivery <laughs> that had dr pepper zero we don't drink it i posted it someone picked it up an hour later they're like we love dr pepper zero <laughs> that that's a very good use of it right i think for me like even in the past like even when i got on facebook because i had like traveled a lot in my life you know i went to high school here i lived in brazil i went to australia for a while i had this like really broad network of people and facebook gave me a way to talk to them yeah. that was free so that was like that was the incentive that i had when i joined facebook it was just an easy way actually before facebook i used to use orchid which is like a brazilian yeah you should check it out uh, it still exists uh, but it was like this sort of like network thing. I think they're sort of like concurrent. I don't even know who came first, probably Facebook. Um, but I didn't have an account, but I did have an account on Orkut because I'd lived in Brazil for a while. So everyone there was using that and I was using that to stay in touch with them. And then Facebook just, you know, everybody was using Facebook. So we started using that to talk instead. And that is still like the primary way my friends from, you know, all walks of life contact me because even now when it's like I message and WhatsApp and there's all these ways to freely communicate, they don't have my phone number. So like, it's just easier for them to, to, to friend me on Facebook. So that that's still the primary reason why I've never removed my account because I still use it that way to stay in touch with friends. These systems and these platforms, including others, not just the, like we can move off of the Facebook properties. Like, yeah, yeah. Are you, are you, how comfortable are you sort of making the value exchange of your data, you know, for, for the, for the services? I mean, and, and I don't know, some of this is related to like the, the ease of privilege in the sense that, if you're privileged, you don't have to worry about certain right. things, right? And you're you're you don't have to worry about the trade-offs that you're making as much because you live a privileged lifestyle. Uh, but how concerned are you about the trade-offs that you're making, and or or rather that like consumers are making and their awareness of that? I know Pedro, this is something that is thought about quite a bit as you think through like what what the world um, what the world and sort of uh, privacy trade-offs should look like in the future as platforms develop and innovate and change. I mean, how do you, how do you all think about that? I mean, actually, this is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, I am, to your point, very aware of the fact that my perception of the world will never be the perception that other people have, no matter how hard I try to put myself into someone else's shoes. I just I, I can't relate, right? Like grew up in a middle-class family. I got to travel the world. Like my, my life is extremely lucky. Um, but I think for me personally, one of my big things that I bring up pretty much in every panel that I am on all the time is uh, my big pet peeve is education. I think uh, the idea that there's a trade-off is fine. We've had trade-offs our entire lives. That's, that's just a thing. The world works on trade-offs. I think the, the problem that we have is the lack of education. People don't understand what the trade-off is. 
Like there's people out there that genuinely believe that being on a website doesn't actually cause any of their data to be collected because they don't understand that. Um, so I think my primary concern is in order for you to be able to, like on a societal level, accept the idea that there's value to your data and there's a trade-off and you're agreeing to that trade-off, you need to understand that it's happening. Um, and I don't think that most people do. And, you know, the, the kind of um, computer, computer education that we give children today is yeah. the same that we were giving 20 years ago where we're teaching them to write on Word. We're not telling them anything about data security, data privacy, and, you know, how could they possibly exist in an online universe when they don't understand it at all and we don't really make an effort to tell them about it? Um, so that's that's my big pet peeve. It's something that I that I bring up in my, you know, when I send company-wide emails. Um, I always have a snippet at the bottom for like parents who are concerned about their children's privacy. I recommend books. Uh, there's a really cool one called Clicker the Cat. Uh, that has different age ranges and it talks about being online. It talks about cyberbullying, a lot of other things. I think there's very little specifically to privacy out there. Actually, if you guys want to work with me on something, I would love to find someone to help me. Can we write a children's book on privacy? I really want to write a children's Let's book do, on privacy. Can we do this? Can we do this? <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's my goal in life and I can't, but like, I, I'm not, I don't have kids, so I'm worried that my perspective would be so- No, I don't have kids either, which makes- Void of understanding. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about this offline? I love this idea. Let's write this book. Yeah, my, there are some videos in my kid's school that try to address some of these things, but but it's usually in the context of cyberbullying or, yeah. or things yeah. that, that are real for kids that are- No, of course, I'm not- There isn't a, ch a children's book focusing on privacy, which is an interesting idea for sure. Um, that's, that's my pet peeve on the trade-off. I, like, I, like I like hearing that you recommend books, put a snippet at the bottom of your emails, and you're doing that to start to, to try to set a privacy culture. I'm a huge, huge talker and believer in that. And that, that may be just because for the last the last few companies i've been in have been smaller and that's been part of my job is to set the privacy culture but i'd be interested pedro to know like in bigger companies how does that happen in bigger companies like obviously the last three companies that you've been at had major uh privacy uh products you know not just like product privacy running through the product you know not just like it's a thing we need to think about. Like it's actually super relevant. So how culturally did they, did you think through approaching that? I mean, it's different at each place. And also the point in time is different at each place. So like right now I'm, I'm at Facebook now, right? Which I think Facebook thinks about privacy now fundamentally different than it did 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. So like privacy, like, I'm not just saying this. I, I never speak on behalf of the company on the podcast, and I'm not doing that right now. But my privacy is like at the forefront of every single thing Facebook does today, right? Now, the results of that are going to take some time, right? And they are coming online over time, and the world will see them as they develop and are built. Um, and, you know, that's frustrating for a lot of people, but like it's hard to move gigantic systems that were designed one way into another complete way. Uh, in another to another framework um uh but that work is underway and i've never seen a company invest more in this i know apple is aggressive obviously right um 
But let's talk about how much Apple talked about privacy 10 years ago. I don't remember anything, right? Like, do you guys? I don't remember anything. Uh, two two Google, years ago. Two years ago. Whatever. Yeah. Google, same thing, right? And Love so the there's. Ads, I mean, Apple's been making some really, really clever ads. Like the last one that they have about tracking is like whoever. Yeah, Apple's marketing is amazing, you know, and and, and that's great. I, it, my hope is, and obviously they're doing making a lot of changes. So are other companies, and not having cool ads doesn't mean you're not doing the work. Oh, I know, I know. Just put it out there. But so, like, but but I guess my point is, I picked these big three companies because everybody knows them, and all three are at different stages of their privacy evolution. I think they're much closer than people realize and much more aligned in their like philosophical approach than people realize. Um, but that none of that was the case five years ago. So like if I look at when I was at Salesforce a few years ago, same thing. Like I, I'm sure they're in a different place now than they were then. And then Oracle before that. Now, Andy's other question was like, well, how do you go about doing that? You know, I think seven, eight years ago, I would have said, you know, like privacy needs to be part of every conversation. Today, I think privacy is part of every build, period. Like every, like privacy by design is, privacy um, scrutiny is built into engineering at my company at early stage, mid stage and late stage. And that's how it should be at every company that has the resources to do it. And then the ones that don't need to figure out how to do it cheaply because that's just the only way to make, you know, innovate now. Like you can't responsibly innovate and call yourself a privacy conscious company unless privacy is part of the engineering build design beta alpha you know and you know go to market process with that said there are companies bucking that trend right like i look at clubhouse i look at tiktok right yeah. you know they're basically like no we're doubling down on like the old this other way which we'll have to see where the you know where things end up i'm not critiquing them by the way I, I think it's important to have people in the marketplace do things differently um because i'm not a privacy absolutist and i think we have to find a balance and i don't want a, a couple companies to go so far that no one can compete against them well, i want to ask a question about double verify like my experience pedro used to be at salesforce uh salesforce was an investor in my last company we were raising around salesforce participated we were having a diligence phone call and I thought it was going to be all financial. It was all privacy, right? So even, even, you know, Salesforce is focused on it, even in that micro instance of when they are making an, a follow-on investment to a company they've already invested in, it was all privacy focused just to make sure that we were like above board and we were doing things in the way that they agreed with. So that story led me to think about Double Verify, who just recently went public and so I, so congratulations on that, but also- I have my bell back there. They sent us <laughs> bells at home to celebrate. I'm just wondering how much, how much uh, of a light was shown on privacy throughout that process, right? Yeah, no, we, we talked about it a lot. It was, it was a big conversation. You know, I was in, um, uh, I was being asked a lot of questions about it. You know, the thing about Double Verify is that we, we sort of sit in an interesting place in the sense that Yes, we're in the ad tech universe, but sometimes I, I, I sometimes joke about this and I'm like, I wish we could just be a tech company because like in a lot of ways, the term ad tech has this like massive breath that goes from anything from like, you know, profiling and targeting and all like the bad stuff um, all the way to like us, which we don't do any of that. So sometimes it, it's it's a little bit hard of a crown to bear. Um, and it creates implications that are like, 
you know, I, I feel like in some situations it sort of puts you on your heels and you're like defending conversations that you reasonably shouldn't have to defend because we're not really doing that. And we're sort of like speaking for the entire universe of companies. Um, but it was definitely something that was very important. You know, I was hired well before um, the, the public offering. Um, obviously that was on our mind, but um, you know, we started doing the work well before that. The company did work with a lot of, you know, really highly qualified outside counsel for a long time. So privacy was always something that they were cognizant of and like applied in their uh, in their day to day work. So when I came here, I wasn't like the room is on fire, yeah. the furniture is on fire. <laughs> um, it was actually like a pretty like smooth experience. Just figuring out. I mean, for me, the biggest challenge was just understanding ad tech because yeah. I didn't come from ad tech, so. It was, and, and I don't have a technical background, so it was a lot more just understanding how we were doing things to understand, you know, how it's right or how we need to tweak it more so than this is really bad. I mean, things were, I haven't had to do any massive amounts of like shit. Good call out. It's a good call out. Product counseling is one of the most important things we do. And while there's a privacy and data bent to it, you have to understand the business really well. Yeah. And tech yeah. is, is uh, as we all know, complicated. I first became aware of privacy and the risk factors in the public markets when the trade desk went public and wrote its S1. And I read it like, cause I'm a nerd that read an S1. And, and uh, it was the risk factors around privacy were two, three, four pages. And I was, I remember being like, wow, you know, that, that was not that common. And now you see a lot of that, a lot of disclosure, a lot of honest, you know, discussion about, um, about privacy and about data. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's like I'm, I'm waiting and hoping for the e-privacy regulation. I'm like, I know a lot of people are worried about it, but from from a fraud perspective, it's got a really lot of really strong language to support what we do. That right now we're missing, and there's a lot of confusion in the market. So um, I may be the only person on the planet praying for that to happen soon. <laughs> yeah, I think you're alone. <laughs> we need more. We can, we we're not busy enough. Uh, I think we welcome, I mean, look, I always welcome sensible regulation. I, I don't know. We'll have any privacy episode one day. I like, you know what I just noticed that uh, Beatrice and I are matching in our little wardrobe here. I don't know how I hadn't noticed that. Not only not only are we both wearing red shirts, we both have on little necklaces too, yeah. which is really nice. This, one, really nice. this, is, so. this necklace is a little keepsake from my old job, actually. It's a little really? Yeah, it's an elk. It's a necklace that I got. So in my old company, we used to have this... Um, this event every year, it's called President's Club, where all the best salespeople get swept off their feet to an awesome like destination for five days. They also take like the MVPs, which there's one every month. So I won my MVP for my GDPR implementation. Nice. Uh, and I got to go to Jackson Hole wow, for nice. a long weekend at the Four Seasons. Wow, sounds hard. I know it was amazing. Um, and I, I bought myself a little elk necklace as a, as a keepsake and I have it on oh, all the time because, you know, Virgin was like my first big girl job. So I'm always grateful for all the things that I got to do there, which I wouldn't have gotten to do pretty much anywhere. It's like one of the benefits of working in like a startup is we don't have as many resources. So I got to implement GDPR, which realistically someone like three years out of law school would not have been doing that <laughs> in like a big company. So exactly. very grateful for the experience. 
That's super cool. I know we gotta go, but okay, yeah. but can we ring the bell? Where's the bell? Oh my my bell. Let me find it. Can you ring the bell? Okay. <laughs> I hope it's nearby. I want to hear the bell. <laughs> Good thing I wore pants today, am I right? Yeah, oh yeah, I figured I, I <laughs> <laughs> there's the bell. There it is. How cool is that? Nice. How cool is that? We I want to ask you one more thing before we go. Okay. Uh, you're super into restaurants like me. Both Pedro and I have talked about how food and cooking and learning about cooking and food and things was one of the silver linings for us of being, you know, at home so much. So you're you've been all over the world what are the top restaurants you've eaten at in the world okay so um i feel like this is going to be like the rotten tomatoes thing where like i like <laughs> movies that nobody likes but i'm gonna put it out there anyway there is this um there's this restaurant in milan that's at the top of the rinascente which is like our version of herod's uh -huh. it's like a tall building that's hall like a department store oh my light fell down let me just take that. Um, so there's this um, tall building. At, it's at the very top, and it's next to the Duomo, so the big um, cathedral yes. from Milan. So you're sitting on the terrace. On the left side, you have like the top side of the Duomo, which is gorgeous. And they make uh, so Milan is famous for risotto. That's like their big thing. Uh, lots of rice uh, cultivations near it, and they make. Uh, risotto 30 something ways Whoa. so there's all of these different um, typical like traditional Italian dishes that are usually made with pasta or are completely different like they're supposed to have you know they're just meat they make risotto with that sort of like flavor um, or nothing my light is abandoning me so um, let me just try one last time um, I like how lighting is always involved. Yeah, somehow. lighting is our, our thing. Uh, but so I would definitely recommend that one. It's it's very affordable. So it's not, you know, and it's such a great experience. And That's then cool. for those who just like want like a great Italian experience, there is a chain of restaurants. And I know as soon as you hear chain, you're like, hmm. Uh, but it's a chain of restaurants from Italy. It's called Obica, O-B-I-C-A. No lighting. We're just going to give up, shall we? Um, let, let the light let the light go it's like natural lighting <laughs> it's a glitch in the simulation um and that restaurant you can actually find in new york city as well it's in the um, flat iron building um and they serve mozzarellas from all over italy different ways the way we eat mozzarella in italy with like you know um cured meats or uh with prosciutto and that's all they do. All their dishes are mozzarella focused. And like every time I'm in New York, oh, I, it's top. like a little piece of home. So it's I'm, I'm, I think we need to do an offside to that Milan restaurant. I'm just going to put I that mean, up there. I, 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 you know, isn't there a Facebook office in Milan? I don't know, but I'll build it. Maybe you need it. I, I strongly recommend it. So. I don't know. Pedro, what are, what are your favorites quickly? Man, I've got a bunch, but like in Atlanta, my favorite restaurant is Marcel. It's this like Louisiana Southern, uh, nice. I don't even know what to call it. Like just a Louisiana Cajun style restaurant that is A plus. In DC, I love Mini Bar or mm -hmm. by Jose Andres. I, there's a lot of places. China yeah. Chilcano, which is like a Peruvian Chinese fusion by I Jose. Went with you. I went with you. 
Oh, we did. That's right. And Rose's Luxury, which is another DC restaurant, which is a plus. Um, New York City, I don't know, man. Like Johnny's Pizza downtown, <laughs> you know, $3 slice is pretty good. Did you guys hear the thing about how like the best pizza in America is supposedly in New Jersey and then everybody in New York lost their minds a few weeks ago? Yeah, people say that. Like crazy people talk like that. Crazy yeah, people crazy. talk like that. That's crazy. <laughs> The best restaurant I've ever been to, I'll just do one and then we'll sign off. On our honeymoon, we went to Greece and we went to Mykonos and we, all the people that we were meeting were like, you have to go to this restaurant, go to this specific restaurant, but you, like you have to rent a car and drive there. It's far. So we rented a car and we drove and Mykonos has a lot of really steep hills and really narrow roads. I was scared to death, like driving. <laughs> I, I was going to die. Yeah, and like up and down. And finally, we get to the complete other side of Mykonos and there's this cliffs. And down at the base is a beautiful beach. And so we go down and we're on the beach looking up at these incredible cliffs and we spend time in the beach and then go up to the top of the cliffs and there's this restaurant. And when I say restaurant, I mean, it's just carved into a stone cliff. It's just a flat area, stone cliff. There's no electricity. It's just a huge oven and a wood burning oven right there. And then in the, there's one room and in the room, they've just got a tray full of ice and fresh salads and things like on the tray full of ice. And they just took a Bronzino that they like caught, someone caught, you know, that day and they cook it right in this wood fired um, grill on top of, I mean, seriously, one of the most beautiful views you've ever seen in your life. Not expensive, not, fa not fancy whatsoever. But just, I mean, experience is everything and, and the taste is is just due to the food and the, the, the yeah. freshness yeah. of the food and the, the atmosphere. Can't so you basically maxed out honeymoon points, man. Nicely done. I tried. You know, if you love, if you want to hear about good restaurants, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Stanley Tucci did like a series on CNN called Finding Italy. And I was super judgmental about it because I was like, oh, whatever, this is going to be like stupid. But we watched it. <laughs> He like speaks Italian, oh, which wow, I'm really? super impressed about. And then like he went into like the place where they invented pizza in Naples, and like it, it tells you all the names of the restaurants and all the stuff that they do. And like, nice. very good, huh? Check that out. Right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap. We're gonna let you go. Thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out. Sorry about your lights. That was me in the simulation. Oh Great. boy, Great. I hope Great. it doesn't look too bad. Thanks for <laughs> hanging out with us at the ant farm. Uh <laughs>